Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the final episode in this season of Soho Shortwave. A monthly podcast from Soho Radio, giving you a taste of the best content we produce every month. Soho Radio is an online radio station broadcasting from the heart of Soho, London. We have a wide range of talent and taste across our music and culture channels. You're always bound to hear something new when you tune in. In this episode of Soho Shortwave, we hear from Marnie with 21st Century Greats, The Other Woman, Max Reinhardt's Late Lunch, And as a special feature for the season finale, we are reliving one of our latest live to vinyl sessions with Kay Young. Hello, my name's Marnie and I host 21st Century Greats every other Thursday on the music channel on Soho Radio. Um, The idea for the show came about when sort of thinking about how we fetishize and lord greatness onto music or albums or bodies of work artists from times gone by you know you always hear people saying they were born in the wrong era they were born in the wrong decade and 21st century greats is about celebrating the greatness of artists who are not only still alive but who are also putting work out today and that i think will be looked back on um, with tremendous affection in years to come as modern music moves at a much quicker pace than it's ever moved before it is noticeable when records come out that are you know game changers the only criteria for the albums that i choose are that they are great that they are from the 21st century and crucially they are an album that i love um so i try not to sort of go to the uh, obvious ones or ones that you might expect to hear on a sort of rundown of 21st century greats uh we've done melodrama by lord my beautiful dark twisted fantasy by kanye west Casadega by Bright Eyes. I try and just go to the albums that have um, anchored or moored me through the last 20 years. Um, So it's just a celebration of contemporary music from any genre, but something modern, something that feels relevant to our lives today as listeners and fans of music. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and um, I hope you enjoy this snippet. Kanye has explored maximalism and minimalism across his work um, and Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is very much him at his maximal best. When I was looking up um, the reviews from this album, it got 10 out of 10 on Pitchfork. Um, but, you know, people were sort of throwing in all the different references that they could find in this body of work. And Pink Floyd came into a lot of reviews. People were sort of calling it prog rap, massive paradigm, exploding piece of pop maximalism and prop prog rap as written by Samuel Allen Um, but also in terms of looking at his uh, previous catalogue Sean Fennessy of The Village Voice wrote that West had learned the gifts of his handpicked collaborators and used them here from his previous studio albums to a sometimes heightened degree arranging orchestral majesty of John Bryan on late registration adapting DJ Toomp's 
oozing menace from graduation and Kid Cuddy's Kid Cuddy's moaning melodies became elemental from 808s and Heartbreaks. So this album was kind of a real culmination of Kanye and what he had done up until this point. And in terms of his public persona, this was the album that came after he rushed the stage when Taylor Swift was accepting the Video of the Year award. Um, He kind of took a hiatus out from the public eye and music he went away and made this body of work and you know the the public turned on him up until that point Kanye had you know been controversial he had been outrageous but he had been largely liked and the Taylor Swift incident saw a change in how people were receiving Kanye and this album was kind of the first moment where we saw Kanye as vulnerable and, you know, the sort of speculation about whether this was an apology piece or whether this was Kanye sort of panicking that he wasn't going to be able to get his music out to people if the public perception was that he was, in the words of Barack Obama, just a jackass. Um, So My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy came from a really dark place in Kanye's sort of... um, ego I suppose um so yeah there's a lot that's sort of in the mix in this and as I was just reading out from those reviews there Kanye knows how to collaborate and you know curate collaborations like no one else um in the modern age um going back to the sort of idea of the ego um and the sort of Freudian concept of looking at Kanye's work and a sort of psycho uh psychoanalytical <laughs> approach to his work uh, Pitchfork's Ryan Domble wrote that My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is a hedonistic exploration into a rich and famous American id. Chris Martins of Spin said that it's an alternately grandiose and eloquent production that owed as much to the artist's self-aggrandizing ego as to the vicious id that would destroy it publicly um, you know those conversations were happening back when Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy came out in 2010, um, you know, the destruction of Kanye's id and ego, the presentation of it, the sort of maniacal sense of uh, rich and famous American ego has only continued to play out and grow and grow and grow in Kanye's public persona. So, um, yeah, you just had the Nicki Minaj intro with Dark Fantasy where she narrates a Roald Dahl poem. And I'm going to move on next to Power which is one of the singles and Kanye I think said it was his least progressive single that he'd ever written but Power is next and you know the guy has just announced his uh, run for president and the refrain of this song is no one man should have all that power I love that song. Not only does Kanye mention Donald Trump in that, but there's a couple of lines where, um, you know, he says, praise is due to the most high Allah, praise is due to the most fly Prada. And I feel like those two lines are just such an embodiment of what Kanye West is about. You know, he's obsessed with art. He's obsessed with greatness. He's obsessed with fashion. He's obsessed with glory. um, And all of that is sort of vomited out onto this album. Um, But next up is 
Runaway, which for me is the most important song on the album, not only because it's the first song that, you know, sort of hooked me into Kanye's world, but it's also the title and the central song on the film that he released uh, to go alongside this album. And, you know, we've sort of stripped back more and more the resources that are available to artists now to make these kind of huge art projects. But back in 2010, not many artists were making this kind of volume and um, excess of work for one album. And Kanye, you know, off the 808s and Heartbreaks tour, he was meant to go on that tour. But after the Taylor Swift thing happened, he cancelled his tour. And he spent three million pounds on this album, you know, and he's often sort of spoken about the money that he's taken from his own personal finances and funneled back into his art and his creative process. Um, And I just, you know, I think that there's a lot of, I think he's due a lot of respect for the devotion and commitment that he shows to his creativity and his expression of self and you know Kanye is often associated with ego and this kind of um outrageous um self-glorification but you know in one interview that he did around the release of this album he was like you know if you're a Kanye West fan it's not because you're a fan of Kanye it's because you're a fan of yourself I'm just the espresso shot that you take in the morning you know I get people riled up about themselves not about me and I do think there's a lot of truth in that you know you listen to a Kanye album and you're like yeah, I'm the fucking shit, aren't I? Um, but anyway, on Runaway, he sort of takes a different approach and it is a song that's a toast for the douchebags, um, et cetera, et cetera. And Pusha T, who's all over this album, is most prominently featured on this song. Um, it's such a gorgeous song and on the genius.com uh, annotations for it, they describe it as a Greek tragedy rap, which I think is so dead on. I think this whole album has a sort of Greek tragedy quality to it. Um, takes the cliched ideas of power, sex, money, and removes all the glamour from them. And I think that's the thing you find with Kanye is like, you know, on 808s and Heartbreak and so on, um, you find these moments of real sad, haunting loneliness. Uh, it comes back again on Jesus, where he's kind of like in this bubble of excess but feeling entirely hollow um so runaway you know talks about the breakdown of his relationship with amber rose his uh, arrogance his weaknesses his insecurities and he has stated um very plainly that this was not an apology piece it came out after um the vma incident with taylor swift but he has said runaway is not an apology for what happened there and his only regret about the taylor swift experience was apologizing <laughs> at the time but anyway this song is one of my favorite songs of all time and i hope you have a great time listening to it now honestly like that song is like a spiritual experience every time I listen to it I don't know if that's because I'm a bit of a douchebag it's kind of like Rustin Kelly's um asshole song um I don't know do I identify with these songs so much because (laughs) I'm a bit of a dick (laughs) don't answer that um so that song yeah I'm sorry I just think it's absolutely fantastic and if you haven't ever sat down and like visually read the lyrics alongside while listening to it I really recommend you do because there's little bits you lose um but anyway next song is Hell of a Life featuring Nicki Minaj again who's a sort of recurrent um 
player on this album. I sort of see Dark Twisted Fantasy as this strange fairy tale, almost like a pantomime where you've got characters coming back um, or actors coming back playing different characters and Nikki is one of them. Um, so Hell of a Life is kind of, it feels like a sort of quite superficial song. It's about having sex with a porn star. Um, Nikki said during recording, Kanye had like all these images of porn stars on his computer that he'd ask her to look at. And she was like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, they're really artsy. Um, but apparently he, there's loads of stories of Kanye sort of plastering hotel walls with porn stars and people sort of drawing these analogies between what it means to be a music superstar and how exposed a person is in the same way that a porn star is exposed. But it's interesting to me that Kanye had this kind of obsession with porn stars um, and then went on to marry Kim Kardashian, who, you know, first sort of made her fame by having a sex tape of her released. Um, so Kanye's got Kanye's got a real obsession with sort of ultra exposed <laughs> porn. It was like ultra exposed life um, and kind of like just complete, gluttony and hedonism and he's, he seems to be obsessed with you know porn fame money religion and seems to put all those things uh on the same playing field like porn and god seem to exist in kanye's universe as these both sort of uh holy um experiences holy that's a unfortunate choice of words when discussing porn okay anyway this is way too early in the morning for you guys every few weeks soho radio hosts a live to vinyl session at jaeger soho over the years we have seen the likes of idols paul weller and madison mcferrin perform live and record a track direct to vinyl Kay Young is at the forefront of a new era of black British music and is already making waves. She graced the Jaeger Soho studio with a six-piece band in August to record two tracks direct to vinyl and chat to us about her journey in the industry so far. We have Kay Young in the building. Yo, 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 yo. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, that was amazing to have you in for this session. Thank you. Uh, so, so pleased to have you here finally. We've been talking about this for quite some time. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so good for actually be here physically in these like, uncertain times. That's it. Giving but, thanks. Yeah, giving thanks <laughs> indeed. So uh, your EP, Middle Matters, came out last Friday, yep. the 20th. So yeah, how does that feel to be in the real world ah it just it feels amazing to have the project out there because i've you know been sitting f with it for a long time so i just feel like my baby's kind of gone out into the world and you know i just want to see it blossom so yeah it feels amazing it's been received very well um it's just the beginning as well so i'm chuffed yeah that's that's amazing isn't it just to have it out here so the um i mean so you've you've been putting out eps for a while mm -hmm. yeah um uh but this one is with a new setup, and it's quite a remarkable story how it's come about. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, our good friend Joel kind of, he'll tell me off for telling me this, but he kind of gave me the heads up that this may be happening, and now my drawer literally <laughs> dropped the floor when he said it. And I thought it must have been a wind-up. Yeah, so, me too, mate. I'm telling you, me too. <laughs> um, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for those who don't know Kay, um, she is an amazing MC, rapper, singer, producer, and that's how I first got to know about you as, a, as an actual producer working on Hearing My First Kill, which yeah. I played earlier in the show uh, with Joel Culpepper. Yeah, yeah, don't um, track. But yeah... Uh, you uh, decided to do a 30 beat challenge, yeah. uh, creating a beat every day and putting it on Instagram. 
and Jay Electronica yeah. picked up on one of them. Yeah, he started following me and, um, you know, I, I messaged him and I said, I'm a massive fan. Like, thank you for following me. Then a few weeks later, um, he reached out to me and basically just sent me a screenshot of a conversation he was having with Jay-Z. So he was following me, basically following the 30 Day Beat Challenge, but sending Jay-Z the videos that I was doing. And I could see the conversations that were having between each other. And it was like, yep, finding her right now. And that was on the 23rd of February, I mm -hmm. think that happened. And from that, just, yeah, became part of the Rock Nation family. Wow, 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 wow. Crazy. So, um, and you went out there, didn't you? Yes, so I went out there. Uh, originally, it was back in March, forgetting all the dates. Back in March, I flew out there, met the team and everyone. Then I went back in January for the Rock Nation brunch, mm -hmm. which was amazing. Yeah. So inspiring. There was no way you could not come away from that feeling inspired. And I got to speak to Jay-Z as well. Yeah. Which was uh, awkward, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'd say to the big man. That's the thing. I mean, he's he's down to earth. He's approachable. But I was so nervous. I was tripping over my words. And I'm not a huggy person. I don't hug people. But I thought to fill the silence and to fill the gap, let me just go in for a hug. But in that moment, <laughs> everything just slowed down. And you can see he's thinking, she's going for a hug. She's going for a hug. And I'm thinking, I'm going to hug this man. I'm going to hug this man. And I kind of patted him on the back. And I said, thank you so much. <laughs> and I walked away. And I said, thank you. You know, changed my life. And yeah, it was very awkward. But I'm glad I got to kind of just thank him personally. Brilliant. Yeah. Amazing. And hopefully... Uh, when lockdown eases and travel ends up, you'll be end up going back over yeah, there very yeah. soon. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to. Yeah. On this, uh, this is a track called Cruising. Yes. Which is uh, uh, on this EP. Yeah. Did he put that out, bring it out last year? Or was it? So I kind of put that out as a snippet. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was 29, yeah. Yeah. I think it was 2018, actually. Right, okay. I think it was the end of 2018. I put it out as a snippet and I just pulled it real quick. Right. And I kept it in the archives. So if I do put out a project, I'm going to put that one on there. So that's probably about, yeah, two years old, that song. Yeah, because that's a banger. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember we had, uh, well, the first time we properly met, mm. uh, we went to see Madison McFerrin. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you kindly give us a lift back to South East London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'd played... Madison, she was in her being interviewed, and I, I kind of strategically put that one in. Going, this is a producer you should be working, you. should be working with. You've missed the boat, Madison. You've missed the boat. If you're listening, right? Okay, just kidding. You can still work with her. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so you've been in here uh, recording two tracks. Yeah. First one is giving thanks. Giving thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, who are the guys you've been? playing with today so i have got kersha bailey she's an amazing singer songwriter mm. guitarist i've got lisa scats and i've got scats i've got tim on a cajon kian on a guitar and jonah scott on the bass wow and is that from one rehearsal from one rehearsal it's under three hours wow wow under wow. three hours very impressive yeah we, we did the thing yeah well should we have a little listen yeah, go for it. Okay. Do you want to introduce this track? It's the first so this one. song is called Giving Thanks, and it's basically about giving thanks. No matter what situation you're in, you've got to be thankful for the small things. It's cut off from my EP, Middle Matters. I hope you enjoy. We're about to take them to church. Just got kicked out, 31 on the road now. Pack clothes, throw it in the boot. Call my cousin, have you got room? Wow. <laughs> Three hours rehearsal, quick run through. Jobs are good. That's it. <laughs> yeah, done. Pure pro. 
<laughs> Amazing, you. Kay. How Thank does it you. feel listening back to that? Yeah, it sounds sounds pretty decent. Sounds nice. Yeah, <laughs> very impressed. No, it's you haven't done anything like this before. I mean, it's first time going on. Well, yeah, doing a live session on radio. Definitely the first time. Amazing, but yeah, and and there's actually a physical representation oh, of what you've done. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, incredible. Yeah, incredible vinyl. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be sneaking this one home. Only, only kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so what is your musical background like? Yeah. So I mean, I'm coming from a musical family. My dad um, is a guitarist. He still is on the road performing. Um, my mum used to do a lot of backing singing back in the day. Brother was a DJ, so it was so in my house. Yeah. It was inevitable. I was never pressured into doing it. It was just something I just naturally knew how to do and was mm -hmm. comfortable doing it. Um, went to college, studied music technology for two years, and I just continued ever since. So does he, is your dad playing with anyone that we may know? Or? Oh, he's played with Omar, he's played with um, Lyndon David Hall, he played with um, all the reggae acts. Yeah. Um, oh goodness, Hot Chocolate. Yeah. He's played with a load of people. Amazing. Yeah. So he is he would he class him as a big influence then? Definitely. My dad has never stopped. My dad has never stopped. He's kept on going. You know, he's always encouraged me to continue as well. Um, you know, I do look up to him. Like he's he's in love with music and I don't think he will ever slow down. Amazing. And uh you say about you you saying we're gonna take it to church in one of the tracks and also you you mentioned about your grandmother yeah. and um so church is obviously a big influence as massive, well. Yeah, massive, yeah. Massive. And that comes through in my music. You know, going to church as a child, you know, seeing the choir perform. I think that's probably where I got it from as well. Seeing the choir perform, it's kind of embedded in you as a child and you kind of, that comes out in my music, definitely gospel. When you hear the harmonies, that's definitely church. Yeah. That's church. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, do you want to give us a little bit of a, um, a lowdown on this next track called Yeah, Going so the next track is called Going Through. Again, this has touched a lot of people. It's, it's crazy. It's very personal to me. Um... I would say it's like a letter, open letter to my grandma. She passed away when I was 19, but she definitely laid the foundation for me. Um, you know, in terms of church, um, never giving up on your dreams, pushing through. Um, so yeah, this one right here, it's very, yeah, it's very personal. Um, of course, I'm getting emotional. Why am I getting emotional? Oh, gosh. Well, I've been getting emotional every time I hear this track. <laughs> Ladies and gents, I've been basically listening to this on repeat for over a week now since it came out um, on last Thursday. And I, I literally caught myself crying yeah. on, on Tuesday morning and going mad. for a jog. It just, it just resonates with me so hard. Mm. It's a beautiful song. So anyway, let's have a little listen. It's called Going Through. Going Through. I push on through. And I push on through, babe. I push on through. Hi, I'm Max Reinhardt and I do the Late Lunch Show. On Fridays, lunchtime, 1 o'clock till 4 o'clock, every Friday on Soho Radio. Um, the concept of the show is, you could say that it's a kind of long-form interview. I always have guests and I always take my time with the guests and they bring in some of their music and that is to say the music they've created and they also bring in some music that they like perhaps um, I think it's uh, possibly a unique take on the music scene because 
I present music from a number of scenes which sort of connect. So there is world music, there is exploratory music, there is contemporary classical music, there is some hip-hop, there is some reggae, there is... I'm kind of really interested in the sound of what I play and I kind of like to freak myself out with sounds. And listeners who like that kind of thing will listen to this show. In case you missed that, I'm on every Friday afternoon from one o'clock till four o'clock. It's the Late Lunch Show and I'm on the Culture Channel and do tune in and do tweet and do Facebook and I'll try and answer all those things if I possibly can. I think that we should probably lead into an interview that I did today with Jane Cornwell, who is uh, quite an extraordinarily well-briefed journalist of world music. She presents uh, at WOMAD. She writes for the Evening Standard and Songlines magazine. Here she is talking to me about the Eseria Festival, which happens every year. Uh, It's the Festival of Gnawa Music in Morocco. And we used to go to it together back in the day. Mahmoud Ginya, La Ila Ila Ala Samawi. And we're back on air, Jane, I think I should tell you. It's always, <laughs> right. it's a, always a good thing. I mean, if we were in a studio, it would be obvious together. But yeah. those days for the moment are gone. Anyway, I'll be back. Indeed, yes. indeed. So that was the Gnawa's uh, Esuira. What was, what, what's your favourite moment of any moment? Because you've been to three or four of those festivals, haven't you, out there? I've been to 17 of those festivals, Max. Ah! Yeah. 17 <laughs> I go every year. I've been every year since 2003 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favourite, and I've written about this, was um, was probably Mahmoud Guinea's final and was most definitely um final concert which was in 2015 and he was on stage he was very visibly um emaciated from cancer um but he seemed to really get this strength from sort of the waves and the music and the the wheeling gulls and there was a full moon and and he just did this incredible performance and then at the end he took off his gimbri and he gave it to his son um, uh, and it was just, you know, like the sort of handing over of the, the old guard handing over to the new. It was just, it was a phenomenal um, moment. Wow. Wow. Mm. I mean, one of the best moments, like without any comedy, <laughs> um, that, that I, well, I suppose there are two amazing moments. One of, one of the moments was, uh, do you remember the whalers were there? Not yeah, with, not, that's right. Not, not with Bob Marley, but in fact, that's right. Even because of Marley's vocal range, they had two singers instead of one. So uh, one was doing the low right. range, one was doing, and and I I'd never really thought about Bob Marley in terms of the Gnawas, but of course the Gnawas like to have locks if they could. Some of them do for real, and some wear lock wigs, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I'm not quite sure what the what the, the roots of that that are, but I do know that reggae is absolutely, absolutely. massive in so, in the Maghreb. You know, so yeah. So, so there we were, and in amongst a crowd who mostly spoke French or Arabic, or mm-hmm. probably the other way around, and yeah. uh, and suddenly they hit redemption song, and uh-huh. everybody. Everybody, and there were yeah. about 10,000 people in the open air there outside the old city. Oh. They were all more, joining more, in. 20,000. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone was joining in. Now, 
Yeah. I, I don't think that if they'd been playing at Finsbury Park, I don't think everyone would have known the words to Redemption Song. Maybe. Oh, I don't. I disagree. I think there are there are worldwide anthems that are just transcend that you could hear on the, you know, the foot of hills of the Himalaya, Himalayas by some busk. Everybody knows Buffalo Soldier and Redemption Song. And, you know, it's a kind of lingua franca, don't you think? Look, I'm only here to disagree with you. Buffalo Soldier, yes. One Love, yes. Even get right. up, stand are you, up. Are we quibbling on which? Yeah, on I'm which just, I'm just saying, like, you. like redemption song, but as, as it happens, as you know, the as we get further and further away from his death, and he becomes right. more and more of a saint. No, I appreciate maybe, that. Yes, yeah. Maybe redemption song is is a much more of a key work. Anyway, look, enough of Bob Marley because I can't get him on the show. <laughs> no, listen, I've tried really. <laughs> believe me. Have you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been joining the dots of the tunes that you've brought along, and um, and so we're turning now to Babel Blues. Babbler Blues. So Babbler Blues are a fantastic new um, signing to Real World Records, um, which is, uh, as most many people know, Peter Gabriel's uh, record company based in Wiltshire. And, and Peter and his his crew have been um, really um, finding music from all over the globe for years and years and, and doing incredible things. And, of course, the, the Peter and um, being, a, being one of the founders of WOMAD, the WOMAD franchise, WOMAD Festival. So Babbler Blues um, was just uh, a project on a cassette that was handed to Amanda Jones, who was the, is the head of Real World Records, and it's just taken off. It's, it's an incredible um, project on, on many levels. It takes its cue from uh, Babbler Blues uh, means the gate of the blues, and Bab is an is a, a Arabic word for gate. Um, uh, so it, it takes its cue from the from the, the African, the North African blues. Um, so Ghanaian music, Hassani music from Mauritania. Um, uh, notably, it has a lead singer, uh, Yusra, who's very feisty, very kind of, um, what can we say, kind of Janis Joplin-y. Um, they, they call themselves a rock band that happen to play this kind of music. Um, this track, Ilamata, that we're going to play is like an oral salam. You know, it's sort of an unhurried gesture of respect. And when you, uh, and peace to brothers and sisters, regardless of origin, they're very politically oriented, this crew. Um, uh, you know, the the fact that, that it's a woman, um, uh, you know, up front in a very, and when I talked before about Mahmoud Guinea, the whole Ganawa um, genre is very male-led, and this is this is the difference here that that um, that Yusra is out there. She's playing a um, a small gimbri, um, uh, and her partner Bryce Botton is playing the the large gimbri. They have a flautist. Um, they have krakeb, which is the steel castanets that that you heard before in the in the Mukherjee Guinea. Um, track these sort of galloping um, castanets, and they sing in classical Arabic. They they bring in things like Indian tabla, and they sample things like the the waves crashing in at Essaouira. Um, it's just they're just fantastic. They really bring in Chabi. We we, we, you know, we, we so, just yeah. we just have to hear them now. What track do you think I'm going to play? Well, I know you're going to play Ilamata. I am. Which is, that's as true. I say, this this oral salam. Yeah. Okay, so um, let us go with this. Um, and listen out for the waves.
I am Sharia Moore and I'm just one of a slew of other women who take over Soho Radio's culture channel every Thursday from 2 to 4pm. The Other Woman exists as an intersectional and inclusive platform to champion the best and brightest women and non-binary artists in music and comedy. To pull together this smorgasbord of chart toppers and interview chatter, we've recently expanded our presenting team. So alongside regulars Seb White, alt musician Piney Gurr and funny woman Hattie Ashdown, The Other Woman has welcomed Alphabet Radio alumna Grace Almond, Nordic Popcasts Danny Charlton and Radio Riot Girl X-Ray Bex to the fold because we all know women are making the most exciting work right now. From Kerry Howard to Kim Petras, Athena Cabluno to Sleeta Kinney. So come bask in the best sounds and stories with us every Thursday afternoon. We've got a big bag of tunes just waiting for you. Now, here's a little taster of my last show when I took a bit of a busman's holiday round the Kent coast where Margate musician Daisy Bow and I attempted a socially distant catch-up in one of the smallest theatres in the world, the Tom Thumb Theatre. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. How on earth is Cherie going to navigate through that kind of feminist electro-punk and into her guest for this afternoon, Margate musician Daisy Bow. Um, well, this is it. This is a sec to give all the tricks of the trade away. Um, I've tapped in to a kind of homage of Meryl Garbus, in my opinion. So if you're a Tunyards fan, this next track could be one right up your street. This is um, half Finnish half British uh, musician Otter um, and she's sort of a self-proclaimed bedroom musician with her cupboard under the stairs meets shed uh, home studio which I mean if you could see the duvet fort that I have returned to it would yeah it's very it's very similar lots of parallels going on and the last few months basically due to that have just sort of been business as usual for Otter so following the release of her debut single Small Hours late last year she has been working away with producer Quez um, who you might know from Solange, Kano, Loyal Kana an insane discography um, and they're working together on her second EP songbook uh, this track is going to be taken from it this track is out now via Pius this is Otter and Never See and we're going to go straight into my conversation with Daisy Bow just after this track and do you think Tom Thumb for you has been a sort of hub of creativity. I know we spoke a bit about Moonfest kind of prior to lockdown, mm. which was at the Theatre Royal instead. Um, you know, you kind of know the folks here. You you come here for shows as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, when I moved here, I was invited to a poetry night that was running here um, called Tongue Punch, and I performed some Sorry. poetry. Yeah. It's, it's a great night. It's not, you know, poetry isn't really my, like, performance jam. It's, I love writing poetry, but um, it's, lot, it's where a lot of my songs come from. But it was it was a great icebreaker to a new crowd, and um, poets are incredibly welcoming. I don't know if you've ever hung out with poets. Actually, no. Oh, they're nice people, poets. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> I'm sort of a poet as well, I guess, but I, I, I felt really warmly welcomed, and it, it was just a nice breaking, it was a nice way to get into it. And then everyone here is just lovely. And it's it's one of those places that's stylish, um, but actually shit hot at what it does. Yeah. Shit hot at what it does, stylish, friendly. What what more could you want? Because you are, you're based here by the sea. Um, but I wondered about growing up, we talked a bit 
before the show um, about your early memories of music. Did you grow up in a musical household with your brothers or was it just you that kind of embodied? Mm, I told this story the other day that I used to play Tin Whistle and my brother said, if you play that song one more time. (laughs) And then then I I went away, I went, oh, and I played it again. Have you seen the Muffin Man? (laughs) And he literally snapped my tin whistle in half and threw it down a mine shaft because we were in Cornwall. I was like, oh, right then. No, he, he, my brothers didn't like my music very much. Um, but I grew up around music. So we had a piano and my mum is quite musical. Yeah. And there were lots of musicians around us. And that's very lucky, I suppose. And when did you first pick up the guitar then? Did you kind of dabble in a traditional rite of passage for teenagers, like a group formation? Or was it always you hmm. kind of solo reflections? Well, my friend Sophie who's one of my best mates, introduced me to System of a Down when I was about, well, it was 12 because it was Toxicity. That's oh, the there first, is a rite of passage, yes. Yeah, so it was the first album I ever bought was that. And then I started playing that and various things. And I, I got really into, they, they use a certain type of chord structure. In fact, it's not even chord structure, it's riffs. Yeah. That's one of the first things I ever learned on guitar. And then I just learned, yeah, bits of that, bits of Radiohead, but um, mostly riff-based stuff, some Nirvana. It's funny because I don't know if you can hear that. In, I was just about to say, I wouldn't maybe hear it a bit. No, exactly. Maybe when you sing it in that way and you take it down to yeah. like the melodies. I think you can hear it in the guitar, yeah. but only aspects of those bands. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've pulled out the melodic aspects yeah. and left all the... And I was That's like, no, I don't do that bit, but I'll do all the rest. Because actually Serge, an incredible vocalist, like he's such yeah. a good singer and he is doing quite a lot of high-reaching pitch yeah. and stuff as well. Yeah, so and he's really... Yeah, and he's really broad, like his range is really broad and his dynamicism is really broad. And I remember being of an age where that for me was everything I wanted. It was just everything I needed to hear. It was very healing, that music. It's so cathartic, isn't it? I was a big new metal head and mm. I, I loved it. I really loved occupying a space where you could be really angry and, mm. and really shout. And... and then you go to like, whoa, yes. whoa. So that's how I picked up the guitar and then and then um I guess I started writing bits and pieces that were sort of uh, I, I'm a big believer now as well. I, I think music kind of flows through all of us like a really it's all in, it's inside all of us. We've got song form that we've learned since very little yeah. and we we kind of have it there and I think it was just started coming out so it was like retranslations or reinterpretations of the things I was listening to. Yeah. Um, so loads of my early, very early songs when I was about 12, 13 just sound like riffs that I've learned. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably our listener can definitely relate with that. As yeah. Well. <laughs> I certainly can. Um, it is interesting you mentioned System of a Down as a reference point, though, because I know when I was reading up about you that you, you are kind of pegged as, and I want to get this right, so someone who marries love wreck sea shanties and lullabies of life with accordion blown bottles, electric guitars, and whatever other instruments you can get your hands on. I'm intrigued about the found object approach because yeah. I haven't seen it live yet. Mm. So I wondered whether that was always kind of you, you, that experimental streak was always there or if that's something you've added into the show, you know, as you've layered in the pedals and things and wanted to be a bit more inventive. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, it's definitely always been there in my music production. So I started recording music when I was about 16 
And I was lucky, I went to Brit school, which is actually very lucky for a young person, to, especially for a woman of a young age, to, to be told to set up a PA and start using equipment and things. Amazing. Amazing. And um, I met a friend of mine, Gaia, around that age, and she's actually 15 years older than me. I met her at a festival, and she went, oh, do you want to come to mine for a bit and record some music? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I went to hers. And she sort of sat me down, and my friend Sarah Bear, both fantastic musicians, um, and, you know, a few steps above me in terms of their experience uh, sat me down with equipment and got me using things. And their approaches and the approaches of the people I was around in, because I was born in the squat scene, so I, I was around squatters and I was around that kind of DIY, makeshift, creative culture. And c what comes with that is a lot of use of space or use of things um, so, you know, I remember one of our friends used to play the drums using his favourite instrument was the Aduki bean container, dried beans in a plastic very box. Very niche bean as well. Very niche bean, <laughs> very niche drum sound. But so things like lighters as percussive instruments and one of my tracks years ago, I did a blown bottle thing. It's like got a brown bottle of some sort of glass bottle and filled it at different levels and then recorded it yeah. three notes and then put a tremolo on it. And it sounds like a Rhodes or a Wurlitzer. Wow. So it's probably from being skint. Yeah, <laughs> but, I love that. Though. But, you know, those parameters yeah. actually are really good fodder for creativity, aren't they? Because they, they force you to, to to create sounds and make sounds that aren't necessarily given to you by the, the tech industries or, you know, the instrument companies. It's like, I'm just going to make some stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. proper DIY, isn't it? Very to DIY. That yeah, that's really interesting. So it was definitely there during your kind of early yeah adventures in production but then has stuck with you mm. even to the point that I wonder if the right drum was in front of you you might still reach for that oh yeah pot and be like no I'll, I'll give this a go oh yeah. yeah oh yeah I had this um, this one experience in the studio where someone wanted me to record something in a very high profile studio a multi-million studio and I was standing there in the live room recording on this Neumann mic which cost 30 grand and I wasn't allowed to touch it no one was allowed to touch it only the engineer could and we kept going over and over and over the take. And then in the end, my friend who was doing the mix in the in the mix room said, look, listen to this one, Days, what do you think? And played it back and I went, yeah, I really like that one. And he was like, okay, so that's the one you did at home. Oh. And we're just going to go with that then. Yeah. And I recorded it on my £100 mic. And so, yeah, I really think that some of this is... I saw it through the window dangling and I thought it's like a carrot on a stick. Yes. It literally feels like it's always just slightly over there, a bit of better kit a bit of better technology, a better studio, and then I, and my whole view changed. Yeah. And I was like, it's right in your hands. We are going to play a track. Yeah. It feels, like, appropriate, given we are in the Tom Thumb Theatre. I've chosen this out. Oh, yeah. Do you want to intro the song? Maybe mm. tell us a little bit about it if you want, or what you remember from the night, if you remember it. The, the song was written a long time ago, but it's had been through a few reworkings. Not, not None of my songs, actually, have been through that much reworking. And this one is actually, uh, I don't know who, it's not Vivaldi. There's a song called The Joke. It's a classical piece. There's references to that because it changes so much. And it is a bit of a joke. It's all about communication in an early relationship when there's all these platforms. There's some words that reference these numbers and digits. It's kind of like, you know, I just want to tell you, I think you're really hot. Um, so it's kind of about that. This song's called This Sound. Okay, see. 
Thanks for listening to Soho Shortwave. If you want to hear more like this, you can listen back to all of the first season on your podcast app of choice. Tune in live to the music or culture channel at SohoRadioLondon.com or catch up on Mixcloud. Don't forget to subscribe for season two of Soho Shortwave. This is a Soho Radio Productions podcast.